Hi, welcome to the Mythology Marksmanship Podcast. I'm Morgan King, and today I'm back to introduce part two of the podcast I did with Austin Bushman. Austin's fresh off of uh, a win at the PRS finale. He's brand new Golden Bullet uh, winner. He's king of the PRS right now. A heck of a shooter, and to today on this one we went through and really dived in uh, into his process of how he attacks a troop line and uh, I really enjoyed this podcast it was cool to be able to kind of see the way he thinks about things and how how his process works and actually just how simple it is and so hopefully you guys can get a bunch out of it uh, I sure did and if you guys have any questions feel free to hit me up on social media I'm sure um, he'd be willing to uh, answer your questions as well. He, he, yes, he's a great shooter, but at the end of the day, he's a he's a great guy. So, yeah, I do not know what his uh, his social media is, but I'm sure he's not hard to find. If you uh, listen to this podcast, you probably uh, can find him pretty easy. So, without further ado, I'm gonna get this started. But hopefully, you guys enjoy the episode. All right. I, now I feel like I wanna, I do wanna dig back in a little bit on the the troop lines and just ask you a few more questions because that's where I I don't know I I guess I I like to blame it on people listening but that's really where I'm most interested in because I feel like we're all very similar in a lot of things that we do uh, once you get to the high levels of this of this game right um, yeah because there's only so many ways to do something but there is like subtle differences in the way everybody does it. And I feel like, um, the differences, um, aren't always the important part. Like they are for guys that are on the lower levels. Like, Hey, this guy's doing this different. Maybe I should try that. But I think at the high levels, the, the consistencies of like, Hey, you do this. I do this. I I do this. I do this. All those things. That's something that we all should do. And it helps to show, like, everybody, all the other guys. Like, we talked about those three things earlier. Um, what were they? Um, they see where you hit, make corrections to the center, use that information to make a win call for the next target. I feel like those are yes. things that everybody has to do, period, and yes. get really good at it. But then how you do it is can be very right? Yes. Yeah, and... So you want me to just go into talking about how I run a troop line? Yeah, a little bit because I know I know a little bit of how you do it, and so I want to first talk about I want I want to I just just quickly, what do you use to get your um, information? Okay, so I use a Kestrel with applied ballistics. Good, that's that's good. You believe in the Bible? <laughs> uh, and then. Next deal is how do you come up with your initial win call? Uh, well, so part of it is if you're if you're deep into a match, you should have a ton of information already gathered. But let's just assume that I'm like had had nobody to ask what they had to hold, you know, and didn't glean any information from any other shooters. Uh, I just. To start with, I'm going to try and find some really clean air that seems like it's a true sample of the exact same air that 
the bullet's going to be flying through. So in other words, if I'm standing right behind a tree at the firing line and the bullet's not going to be flying behind trees the whole way, then I got to find somewhere else to sample the wind. So I'll do that. I'll, you know, just take direction of fire and then sample the wind in a clean air area. And then I try to look at that wind call that the Kestrel's given me. And like, I try to, to, to make a judgment on whether that makes sense with my prior experiences. Like is it, if it says 0.8 and I'm looking down range and I'm like, okay, uh, is 0.8 sound right? Uh, so I, that's kind of the process I use to get my initial wind call. Do you use the double click on the light feature in your Kestrel? No, I do not. Okay, I was just curious. So you 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 use the capture function then in your wind? Yes. Okay, I was just curious because uh, I don't I don't use that because I I feel like it's too. So you do direction of fire, right? And you capture pretty, direction of fire. Yep, capture yep. that. And then you point into the wind and then capture the wind. Yes. And then you'll kind of go off of that if you think that works. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's usually pretty good. Yeah, it usually is. I, I just, I can't. I, I don't. My brain won't let me do that, so I just won't do it. But well, I'll do it for direction of fire, and then sometimes, like if I'm practicing, I'll do it. And you're right; it does work most of the time. So, the only thing different I do is if you double tap on your light function or light button, it will jump you to the ballistics or to or to the to the uh, weather. Um, the weather mode. Yeah. You know, you can switch between ballistics, weather, and easy. Yeah. Well, it'll jump you over to, uh, to weather and then, and then I usually have it, um, on the wind, like where it just gives you the live update and then you can scroll over and then hit, hit, um, average or enter and it'll start capturing. You can hold it in the air as long as you want and it'll give you an average minimum and a maximum. That's what I always use. So you're just, you're just using that to get a sample of the wind and then you're going to go manually enter it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'll capture it and do that. I just kind of it feel like that gives me more <clears throat> information like while I'm sitting there and then I, and I'm not tweaking with my data and then I will go through and then put that in manual because because I a lot of times out here and maybe this is why probably the that I do it, it got in the habit of doing it this this way versus um, just doing the capture because where I'm from. Uh, you'll be shooting in a canyon, and the canyon is uh, more indicative of wind direction than where you're stand than the wind direction where you're standing most of the time. Yeah, and the reason is because like it's gonna flow down or up the canyon most of the time, right? And so, but where yeah. you're at, it's gonna it's gonna like funnel out over the sides, like spilling out over the side, and so it might be kind of like uh, a little bit in your face. Um, or something like that when you're shooting across the canyon, you put your wind meter up and it says, you know, 10 miles an hour or whatever. Well, it's probably going to be 14 in the middle because there's no resistance. And then it'll be, um, it'll be the, it'll be going the direction of the canyon. So then I will, I'll do that. I'll still put in my, my, uh, direction of fire in for each target, but then I will update the direction. Um, but I will put the direction of the wind, um, in based on what I think it ought to be. Yeah, actually I do I do a lot of manual editing yeah. after I've captured the especially on the wind direction because so we do probably the same thing then. Yeah, because a lot of times the wind direction I'm like, "No, that's not quite right." And I'll and I'll kind of edit it for the actual wind direction I think the bullet will be flying through. 
Do you use clock or degrees? I use degrees. Okay. See, I, I, I used to use degrees for everything, and then I used to, and then I used to use clock for everything, but now I like clock in a head and tailwind, or no, sorry, degrees in a head or tailwind, and I like clock in a full value because it just doesn't make as much difference. Yeah. That's just my own personal uh, thoughts. But I, I like that because I feel like degrees is probably the best way to do it. It just takes so long, you know? Yeah, to change it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do you use – now, next thing, do you use target card? No. Okay. Um, Any reason? Just curious. Uh, you know, it's just habit. I just – I've never gotten to – I've never gotten super comfortable with using it and I've been using the Kestrel so long, just going one target at a time. And so I've just, I've just been very comfortable using it, uh, one target at a time, manually adjusting the, the distance and then writing down that dope and then changing it and writing down that dope. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I know a lot of people that do that. Um, uh, yeah, it just uh, for me it just takes takes uh, me all way too long to do that. I I have a tough enough time <laughs> getting my data wrote down uh, fast enough, and I already have all the targets put in before I even start shooting for the day. So, yeah. Yeah, that would that would be awesome, actually. Now, I do you know then there's some manual editing that I do on you know like your direction of fire is not the same. For all of them. Yep. And your wind direction, that's going to change your wind direction for some of them. For on, so far on those, do you do you still go by the target card, or what do you do? Yeah, so you can put it all. So it is cool. Uh, you just go back through your target card while you're looking at the targets and kind of change direction of fire on each one? Yeah, so when I put it in, it, it like usually you just put them all in at due north if I put them in off my phone. Yeah. If I just, like the night before, like when I got into the hotel at one thirty. Um, I laid on the bed and put in all the targets for the day or for, for the next two days when this last weekend and I, yeah. just, I just laid down to her and put them all in the Kestrel and then woke up the next day and then we start shooting. Well, I could, uh, then I would just push the direction of fire or capture the direction of fire when I showed up for all the targets cause we we're all shooting in one direction. But if I'm at a different match and there's a bunch of span, then I will, uh, then I'll, Put it on one, put it on two, put it on three, and just you yeah. can capture each di different one while you're in there. Yeah. And then you put in the wind direction based off of target one, and then it will update the wind for every one of them. Based yeah, on their I've, direction. I've used it before just in practice and messed around with it, and I just, I guess my brain just defaults back to my old method whenever I go to a match. Oh, I got you. It's just it's it's really nice out here when you have those big pans and stuff, and the winds yep. changing, and you got you want to write down four different winds or something, or just even look at what four different winds are doing. Man, I can change four winds. I put two in, and then look at that. Thirty seconds later, or not even that. Ten seconds later, I can have two more winds to look at. I guess that may play into a little bit about what I was going to say about how I do my troop lines because I don't. Uh... I know. Uh, I'm one of the weird ones, and I that doesn't write down a lot of wind. But you do look at it, right? I do look at it. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, so we because that's essentially 
what well i'll let you explain it and then we can talk about it but i guess when i look at it a lot of times i don't have to look at all the targets i could look at the i could look at what the a couple different wins are on the first target real easily and a couple different wins on the last target real easily and you there sorry yeah. you cut out for just a second you said you can look at the wind on uh the first target real easily because that's the one you start with and then, yeah so and then you're gonna so go I can through. just manually change the mile per hour in the kestrel and say okay if it's four mile an hour this is what's going to be if it's 12 mile an hour this is what it's going to be on the first target and just kind of keep that in my head and then you know i can also just go to the far target and uh do the exact same thing and that gives me kind of book bookends on what the you know what the max and min of the wind could be um but usually i only write down one one set of winds yeah right in the middle right and where you think and well what you really think it's going to do yes not not right in the middle i was gonna say not right in the middle i i, I write down what i really think it's going to be yeah which sometimes is hard for me to make a decision especially uh, with enough time you know so that's why i end up writing so much down uh, is because I like want to know what it's going to do on the low end. I want to know what it's going to do on the high end, and I want to be able to see if I can put it all on the plate. And then I want to see uh, what I think it's going to do, and then have that figured out, and then figure out the splits between them and what what that looks like if it change if the wind is high or low or what I think. So that then yeah. I can. So basically, by the time I get all that written down and looked at and and kind of processed in my mind. I don't even have to look at my arm board. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I do, I, I do that as well. I'm just not writing down so much, I guess. Cause I, I, people see me, if you ever watch me, which I'm sure nobody does, but if somebody watched me getting ready for a stage, I'm flipping through the Kestrel like crazy. If it's a windy match and I'm looking at possibilities and I'm thinking about it and I'm watching guys shoot through the spotter, but like before I get into how I shoot a troop line, I want to tell anybody that's listening, like maybe my way isn't the greatest way and maybe it wouldn't work for you at all. And maybe some of the other methods out there are way better. Uh, and I do think that you got to be fairly good at mental math to, to not write down a lot of wind and yeah. to be able to just figure it out. Yeah. I, but I do, I do agree that simplification, especially in these matches where, where in a match, you're where they're going to. I mean, there's only so many ways you can make things uh, harder without making it gimmicky. And this uh, tightening the time limits is is one of those things. And so, it really it 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 makes a guy like you shine. That's that's quick, at a, like a quick thinker, has a simplified system. Uh, that can and you can handle the information and know what to do with it, process it quickly, and then and then spit out a good answer, one that's accurate and gonna hit the next target. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know if it's the best method. I don't know if it would work for everybody. But what I do is, I try to figure out what I think the wind is actually going to be on each target, and I'll write that down on my dope card, uh, one one number for each for each distance. So let's just take the most common troop line is five targets uh fairly you know close to the same direction of fire and let's say you're shooting two shots each near to far 
So I'm not saying that I'll write down the same mile per hour for every target, uh, mile per hour wind, but I'll write down what I think the wind is going to be at each target. So if I think that there's, um, you know, the far targets way farther and I'm going to be shooting up through a lot higher altitude air, then I may write down a two or four mile per hour more wind hold for that target. But anyways, I'm going to write down. Wait, hold on. Repeat that. If I if I think that one, let's just say one of the targets has a higher mile per hour wind that my bullet's going to be flying through. Oh, okay. Then I'll write down that wind. I'm not going to just say it's eight mile an hour and write down what eight mile an hour would be at every target. Okay. Okay. So. Um, You're writing you down use... your just one wind call, right? Yes. Yep. One. So I might write you know, six tenths for the first target, seven tenths for the second target, nine tenths for the third target, you know, and so on. I'm going to write down one number. And then I pay the most attention to my first target and figuring out, <clears throat> you know, what that's going to be. And I mean, for the simple fact that I want to get a first round hit and I want to see where it is. And then uh, I'm not, to be honest, most of the time on a troop line, I don't look at my windage that I write down on my dope card at all for the entire stage. Yeah. And I, I usually have it kind of memorized in my head what it is at the maximum and minimum for the first target and kind of where I expect to end at. And, and then I just pick up, try to pick the best first round wind that I can. And I work out from there. So, uh, but yeah. I, I, before I start the stage, I'm kind of looking at patterns. So I'll notice that, uh, you know, if they're all about the same distance apart, it might only be a tenth. You know, the simplest is if it's an add a tenth for every target. Yep. And but what that that system only works if you're prepared for whenever you're wrong. And yep, you have to be fairly the the mental math part is. I guess the mental math part is easy because wind works very linearly. So if you're, if your first wind hold is six tenths yeah, and you fire a shot and hit and hit the edge of the plate and need to make a two tenth correction. So now I'm going to be holding on my second shot, eight tenths and I fire and hit dead center on the plate holding eight tenths. Yes. So now I look at my dope card and it says that my second target would have been a seven-tenth hold. Yep. Well, I know I was two-tenths off on the first target, so I'm just going to make it nine-tenth hold on the second target. That that works very good. Now, if there's a big switch in wind, you need to do a little bit more mental math. If, uh, if you were way off on what you wrote down, so if, let's say, I, I was going to hold four-tenths on the first target, and then it was six-tenths. Well, that's 50% more wind. So if my if my second target hold was going to be six-tenths, now it needs to be nine-tenths because I need to add 50% to it. Does that make sense? So so you're saying, oh, the, if you go race, to 1.2 or, or 0.9, you're saying you need to go to six-tenths? Or sorry, if, if you get, need to go from six-tenths to nine-tenths? Yeah, so the so the that's ratio a fifty percent increase. So then you're saying yes. that that yes. means you're saying you're gonna have to go three and a half more on on seven tenths. So that means you're gonna have to go one point oh five. 
If you're, yeah, I mean, so the ratio of whatever you were off by on the first target will will hold true, if that makes sense. So yes, but that's a that's but, a lot to think about on the clock, but it's usually much much simpler than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but if you think about it, if you're going from six to nine, that's add three tenths. You basically yes. could just go um, seven ten. Um, you'd be a mill. One point oh five is the is is what you're saying it would be but yes no no no, no. so I well, yeah because that's this, wait no that's just more complicated that, we're making this yeah more complicated than it generally is in my head i guess so i'll talk through i'll talk through a stage so let's say i'm holding uh four tenths on the first target i yep. i see it that it hits left so i correct to five tenths and it hits center now i look at my dope card and, and my second, now I'm moving to the second target, right? And I'm dialing my elevation for the second target. Mm -hmm. So on my dope card, if my second target wind hold that I wrote down was six tenths, I'm probably just going to add one tenth to that because I was off by one tenth on the first yep. target. Does that make sense? No, a hundred percent. That And I do that. Well, that's, I would do that. That's some, a, a, a quick and easy method to me. It just works. It's simple in my head. And for the most part, the targets we're shooting at are not so small that you can't absorb a half a tenth of air here and there with, with that method. Well, our guns don't shoot a half a tenth. Yeah, yes. Uh, I'm just saying that doing that very simple extrapolation, Oh yeah. you're not going to – you may be off by half a tenth, but, you know, you do everything else right, that half a tenth, you're, you're still going to be on the plate. So to me – the way I do each target is at that point, I've forgotten about whatever I did on the first target. Now I'm firing my shots at the second target. I see where the first one lands. I make another correction. And then I, and then I just repeat the process for the third target. So I, I like that. I, I, I mean, that's very similar to a lot of what I do. Cause I just notice patterns, right? Uh, yeah in my stuff, but I will do, and I, I like what you're doing. You're, you're doing an ad from, you're looking at what it was based on that target. I, and I do very similar, but say I have, let's just say I have, let's just write this. So we have numbers to work with 0. 0.4, 0. 0.6. This is just the wind holds for each target. Like what mm -hmm. you would, what you would write down, what I would write down for, this is what we think we're going to hold 0. 0.4, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9, and then 1.2. So okay. you're, you're saying that if you hit at 0.5, then you added 0.1 to your call. So now you're going to go to 0.6 and, and you're going to look at the 0.6 and do that. Well, my thing is, is I'm not going to remember 0.6 maybe. So I think of about my first wind, like all, like that's my first wind. I'm going to think of that in, I, I, I won't even need to look at that, remember that, nothing. I know what I'm going to hold on that, right? The right. 0.4. So I just think, okay. I look at the difference between each t target, like so. What to? So I look at the point four and the point six, and that's add two tenths. Mm -hmm. So I, I I have to add. So in my mind, I think, oh, I have to add to whatever I held on the last target two tenths. If that makes sense. Right. So I say two, and then for the next one, it goes from six to seven. So then I say point one. And then it goes from 7 to 9, that's 0.2. And it goes from 0.9 to 1.2, that's 0.3. So in my mind, the only numbers I, I need to remember 
is two one two three. Yeah, I can see that. And then I just go, oh, I had it point five, add two tenths, that's seven tenths. And then I'm like, so and then I'm two one. So then I come here and that I only needed half mil there. So then I'm yeah. so I add one to it, and then I hold point six, and then so on, and then it's two, and then it's three. Which I think that we do the same probably, thing. We're probably making this sound really complicated. I think I know. so both of us have looked at it before the stage and realized, okay, so the first two targets, it's about a tenth in between them, even if the wind picks up a little bit. So even if I'm wrong, it's still going to be a tenth between the two targets. And then the third target, it may be just two tenths difference. Yes. And then the fourth target's a tenth on top of that. And I do that on every, every troop line. I pretty well paid attention to how much difference I should expect between the targets. Now there's exceptions to these, these rules we're talking about where you're just wildly off and the wind has shifted like crazy. And that's when the kind of the mental math comes in and that can be handy to know, even if you write down wind columns. Oh yeah. So if, if you're expecting a 10 mile an hour wind and all of a sudden it's at 16 mile an hour sustained and you, and you only wrote down an eight, a 10 and a 12 on your wind columns, like you, you need to be able to compensate for that situation. And it's not super difficult. If, if let's just say for the first target, you were planning on holding, you know, one mil to yep. use an easy number. Yep. And you needed to compensate all the way to one and a half mils to hit the target. Well, you, to me, you added, you know, 50% more wind than what you were expecting. What that's not hard math to do on your second target. You're going to need to add 50% more wind than whatever you wrote down on your dope card. Man, I'm going to have and, to be thinking about this. Cause I really like this idea. I do a lot, but and so, you know, if, if my next hold was supposed to be 1.2, 50% more wind makes it 1.8. Yeah, and see, and a lot of times on those, I look at the patterns. And so I didn't start doing this type of method. See, you've been simplifying this for so long, right? I didn't. I used to have the columns written down, and then I would I would look at those columns um like oh, this wind bracket, this wind bracket, this wind bracket, and then maybe I would circle the ones I thought this is where I think it's going to be, and then if I have to jump up, I would circle that one and then jump back down type thing, depending on yeah. on like oh this one over here is a little higher on that on the canyon in the canyon, so it's going to get grab another gear on the wind or something like that, whatever. Um, but then I started seeing a need, like especially like the world championships, I really had to this this method I had to really use most of the time. Which, and I don't think that there's a right or wrong. Like, I'm not saying that at all. I just think it's super interesting for us to compare uh, the way we do it because it might give people different ideas of how they need to set up their system. But I do think there is in in this day and age where things are getting so much faster to simplify it. So I a lot of times would recognize that pattern. So I know, so my pattern that I said, I call it two, one, two, three, right? Well, I would go... Man, if I knew if it jumped up quite a bit, because I rode down a bunch of crap on my arm, I knew if it jumped up, I probably needed to be uh, two, one and a half ish, or two. So it would be, or like, and then it would, it would go to, or three, two, 
three, four, if that makes sense. I knew I needed yep. to jump up a little bit. And if it come down, I needed to go down a little bit on my deals. But even still, it was going to get me close enough. Because like you said, um, um, with your method might, probably is more accurate. I just am not always fast enough um, with my when I'm back there dragging my knuckles on the ground, you know. Uh, well, I so I think that the that the the method of writing multiple wind columns down is the most ideal. Uh, like it's the most formal. It's the most ideal. It's the it's probably. I mean, I don't want to say if it's the right way to do it. It's just it's it seems like the most correct way to do it. But it just didn't work for me. I tried it, and what I would find myself. I'd find that I I just couldn't look at all of my wind columns and make as good a decision as I could if I just sat there and thought about it. So you know, and go ahead. I well I I I hundred percent agree. I can't uh, even. So the only time I do it anymore is in two minute matches, and lately I've been going away from it. And like I'm not saying I've gone downhill in my success. Like yeah, you beat me, but. I feel like it's still, I've, I mean, I've, I've won a grundle of matches. You've won a grundle of matches, and we use a very simple system. But I, but I, I knew with time getting tight, like I had to figure out something to where, because I just, I can look at my arm board, but having to look at my arm board, I mean, this takes enough, a lot of time. This is what, and it takes your time, your time away from processing what you saw that to now you have to think, okay, I saw that it was, and rarely do you have the exact number written on your arm board. So you're like, right. you like, okay, I needed 0.5. I, I, I had point, 0.4 written down and my next wing column was 0.6. So I'm splitting those. So now I'm like, okay, splitting. And then I look at my next two columns. Now I got to look at two numbers and then say, I got to split them. And then I, you know what I mean? And to do yeah. that, like it takes more effort than a lot of, or more thought process than I think we always have time to do. So, in a two-minute match, though, I like you say, it is the right, it's probably the right way to do it, and it's probably the way that I will still continue to do, but I will always have this contingency in my head, and, and the more I do it, the more I still just keep coming back to a system like, like what you're saying, because it happens yeah. to be better. The one thing I do think is an issue, though, and you'll... It, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I see a lot of guys do what you do and write down one win column, right? So they got four, six, seven, nine, and one, two down, right? So yeah. that's a, that's great. But instead of do, and and what you do is smart. You, I mean, but you obviously think about it. But a lot of guys will go, oh, okay, I missed, and then they push it to an edge, and then and then they think, okay, I just hold left edge now, and then they hold left edge on all the targets you know as well as i do that's probably a no-no yeah that's yeah you've got to whatever method you use you've got to you know i i do a ton of playing around with a ballistic calculator yep and making the making the wind kind of make sense to me and so one one you know you can't do that that doesn't that doesn't make sense because the wind is is increasing as you go, as out, you go out or and decreasing and, as you come in or now decrease i my method is uh, is oversimplified because you know uh 50 more wind from 400 yards to a thousand yards isn't uh, a linear mill hold so you know if you had uh 
I guess I'm trying to think of the best way to explain. No, this. it's that. No, this is genius because it's uh, it does everything that I do without me doing it. I guess I, I don't that that didn't make sense, but at least because what you're saying is is that you take the four, the six, the seven, the nine, the twelve. I'm saying I do know that my ad method will get you close enough because you know, say you do say if you hold point four and you need point six on your first one, um, yeah. that's a fifty percent increase, right? So, yeah. so if we say that fifty percent increase, I'm now I'm at point six. And so I'm saying I can just add two to that and get the right call. Well, that's 0.8. What you're saying is this 50% increase, I need 0.9. But I'm going to hit that yes. target. Yes, most likely. We're both going to hit that target. The weakness that I was going to point out in my system is if you have a really large jump between targets, then 50% uh, more wind is more than 50% more mill hold. And you can enter that into a ballistic calculator and check it. But if, let's say you go, uh, you know, if you plan for a 10 mile an hour wind and it goes up to 15, well, then if you were going for 400 to 900 yards in one step between targets, it's going to be more than 50% more mill hold. Um, yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're, you're saying 50% in the mile per hour. Yes. But, but I'm saying, but we mean you were talking about 50% mill hold. Yes, and, and I almost completely ignore that because for almost all stages, you're not shooting that big of a gap between targets. Yeah, no. And, and so that just doesn't come into play. And, and, but you need, to know that, you need to know that in case you are shooting that big a gap between targets. So, um, Which is something that it, people don't think about, and that's why I run. That's why I end up writing down so much, and that's why you sit and look at your ballistics calculator so much because I want to know. Say I am off, which I'm rarely off, more than two tenths. But say I am off more than two tenths. What does that mean? Does that mean that my my that I need to scrap my whole my whole two one two three thing that I don't have to look at my dope card for any numbers, you know, or or do I need to go back and look at my dope card, you know, because I'm way off? Or or do I know if it is off and I do have to increase, how much do I got to increase my splits here? But right. But yours does do it, but yeah, you're right. It it um but what now, you're you're saying though if if you do have that. So you're and I'm trying to figure it out. You're saying if you're going from 400 to 900, if it's a 50% more ink so if we're going from 0.4 to 0.6 at, at say 400 yards that's a 50 percent increase and then say our 900 yards on that is the 0.9 uh or let's well, call okay 1.2 realistically 900 yards would be like like two mil hold right so if you had to add 50 percent at 900 yards it's going to be more than uh 50 percent in mils so this is getting real confusing for people, but if you go enter it into a calculator, wind only stays linear for a certain it uh, amount like of distance. Hardly, it's not really linear, you know what I mean? It's not It's not linear because your bullet's slowing down as it goes farther out. Yeah, yeah. But, you, that, and that's oh. that's why I say I have to increase my, my, my things here, and that's why we're saying this because we both understand that, that is, as it – as the yes. wind decreases, it's more linear, and as it increases, it's more uh, par parabolic. 
Yeah. And what I use, my little mental method that reminds me to keep that in mind while I'm shooting a stage, if, I ha if I'm dialing like just a few clicks between targets, like five clicks or 10 clicks between targets on my elevation, and then all of a sudden between two targets, I have to dial like two or three mils between the, it reminds yep. me that okay this is a bigger gap in targets and the and if i've had you know to increase wind i may just add an extra tenth or two to it and that that usually is pretty effective uh but this like we said this method's not as exact as writing down wind columns and following them yeah which like i say i'm we're extrapolating though we are extrapolating our what we're using from the wind columns and in your case you're using a wind column but you're using it more dynamically Right. Which I, I do like that, which Tate um, sounds like when Tate uses his, he he does a similar thing. He's like, man, I got three things, three columns written down. That's all I write down because I want to have just the stuff I'm going to use down there. And that's fair. That's a fair point. But uh, he's like, but I really got a whole lot more information because I can figure out um, I can figure out pretty close. Like if I, if I've got three mile an hour split or three mile an hour brackets here, I can just add the difference between the two columns and get real close, and maybe have to add just a little bit more because of the parabolic nature of of it as it gets increases to get yeah. a fairly close wing call. If he's like, man, he's got to go way past it, you know. So I I uh, oh yeah I I like this I like this method. I I did. It fascinates me because I the different methods, right? Yes, and I think that uh, you know a guy's got to practice that whatever method he, he wants to try, and then if you cannot make this, if you can't compensate, I'll I've actually I'll actually practice, I'll actually challenge myself and say, okay, what's uh, you know one point three mils add thirty percent to it? What's the number? What's the you know what's the 0. new 4. number? Or yeah. It, it's it's probably going to be 1.7 yeah so one you two. know if you if you had 1.3 mils and oh, you need to add 30 percent to it, i'll actually challenge myself like that but you have to you got to be good at this and it's got to almost come second nature yeah like and yeah. so another thing i i Which, just listened to part of tate's podcast yep something that he said that i totally agree with is the first target is where you get like all your information for the troop line. Yeah, 100%. And you got to be very precise because the first target, a lot of times, is real close. So let's say it's, you know, at 400 yards and your, and your wind hold that you wrote down for your middle column was uh, three tenths. Yep. So now you're working with such tiny numbers, it's hard to, you know, to, you got to be super precise. So if I hold three tenths and I'm very confident that I broke a clean shot, and I hit it, and I see it hit to the right, you know, if I see it hit downwind, like I didn't hold enough, but it wasn't quite at four-tenths, that still tells me something. Oh, I, I think 100%. that people, I think that people lose, like, one big mistake that people make is they hit they hit the target, and that's all they cared about. It's like a hit is, is all the information they needed. They're just happy they got a hit. They're going to move on and just stick with their plan for the next target. Well, as targets get smaller and smaller, it becomes super critical to, uh, you know, you you actually hit it three and a half tenths. And so your wind hold that you wrote down for your next target is not going to be right. You're going to hit for even further away from oh, yeah. 
center on the next one. Which is funny because I a lot of times I use a lot of two mile an hour brackets. So I'll have like say say like this last weekend I would have like a two four and a six written down right. So yeah, but there, that's that was pointless to do. I should have been just like in a three and six bracket. But but three was too much <laughs> to write down. So two is almost too much to write down most of the time, you know. So. <laughs> but I would still write out the other stuff just because I'm an idiot and 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 wanted to have more information because I just feel uncomfortable without it because you know how it is when you're shooting wind you just get used to having having it there it's almost like a comfort but let's yes. let's just say um, we're starting at four six and eight right well that might be a point two and then the next one says point two five and then the next one says point three on my first wind. And yep. I will, I will literally be watching for that because I know the minimum it's going to be is point two, the maximum is going to be point three, and I know my gun. You know, like if you listen, Tate he calls it the paint cap, right? The paint for a spray paint uh, can that cap. He's like, that's what your gun shoots. You know, let's just say that on a on a target. I know I can be anywhere in there, but I don't give a crap when when it's on that target. I'm looking for the exact spot it hits. And I'm going to try to use whatever information I have and just pray that it was right in the middle of my paint can because that's all the, that's the only information I have, right? Yeah. So I, you, you have to use it, right? Because the next one uh, in your four column or in your four mile an hour column might be 0.4 and the next one's 0.5 and the next one's 0.6. Well, uh, in the, and so you basically, based on a half a tenth, is going to be a tenth on the next target if that makes sense because if you were 0.2 you're going to hold 0.4 if you're point if you're a quarter you're going to hold 0.5 and if you're 0.3 you're going to hold 0.6 so there's some information to be had and on these little uh, little targets especially if it's like a one-on-way troop line that's the difference between a hit and a miss yes yeah one tenth on a can can put you out at the edge yeah you got you got to be precise and i guess really and, uh, and even on bigger targets what what we're trying to accomplish by getting us very precisely in the middle of the target is bias insurance against the next wind gust. And like, you know, you shoot tons of Western matches where it's super windy and I do. And that's what, that's my like big fear when I'm on a troop line is I'm trying to buy insurance against the wind gust. I want, I want the next wind gust to push me to the edge of the target and I still get a hit rather than push me off the edge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you, and and I thought one thing, if you if you heard Tate, he says he looks at his last target, and then he does, and then he sets his brackets based on that one, fifty percent of the last target, which I thought was pretty smart. Um, yeah, he's like then I don't have smart. a bunch of unusable information on there, but I still do it probably tighter sometimes than I need to. But uh, it's just it's just you know. It doesn't really matter the system you use. The, the The point is, and I think what what you just said is is really really smart. Where you're saying, you know, a lot of guys are not really looking for the to see exactly where they hit. They're looking they're looking at plate reaction, which is good, um, but sometimes it's hard to see past that and see exactly where it hit. Um, and that's but I but I don't know about you. What I've found that uh, separates between when I see exactly where it hits and when I just see a hit or a miss or when I see reaction is when I'm, like, asking myself 
after every shot, where did that round go? And it sounds weird, but uh, uh, it's like I feel like I'm always doing that, but it's like when I'm trying to see exactly where it hits, it seems like I do. I don't know yeah, if that uh, makes sense. but Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like I'll, I will – if I get rushed, that's one of the things I compromise on is yeah is seeing exactly where it hit, and that happened to me even at the finale. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the twelve round stuff and the faster stages, you know, I might watch the first one, and then after that, I'm just I'm just going. Of course, it's at K and M, and most of the time you can get away with that. You know what I mean? But but even in a windy match, if you stop watching where exactly where you're hitting and just start being happy with a hit anywhere on the plate, it's going to cost you. Oh yeah. And I, and I think that's, um, you highlighted on a huge point that, uh, I think cause a lot of us, um, to get good, we take for granted what, how, what the things, the little minutia, like the stuff that, that we got good at five years ago or four years ago or however long ago, like just putting your bag like getting your gun from the starting point in all your equipment to the line, getting your gun up there and getting stable for some people is still tough. And that, and that's where their brain is. Like that's where all their mental power is being focused and that's fine. You know, we, but as you get better and that stuff becomes stuff you don't think about, that's when the stuff we're talking about becomes big. And that's where you need to figure out where your brain needs to be. And, like we're saying it needs to be focus uh hyper focusing on where did that bullet go yep and i how do you practice that well i shoot a lot of targets that are on t-post hangers because those are the hardest ones to watch yep you get a lot better at uh watching the plate react and you just after a while you just kind of instinctively know what area of the plate at least that you hit yep. um you can even you can even tell high or low on on a plate yeah and I, I mean it just takes practice and I, I it's hard to describe because it's like i've got a pattern that i recognize on the when the plate jiggles and yep. i know where that bullet hit but other than that i've gotten if i really really need to see where the bullet hit and the plate is all shot up. I'll take a second and look at the look at the gray spots on the plate, and you know try to find. A, a lot of times I'll look at the gray spots right before I shoot, and then right after, and find the new one, the shiny, the the newest shiniest one, and that that if you can find that and actually see where your bullet hit by the lead spot that just showed up. Man, that's that's a good feeling, and that gives you tons of information to use for the rest of that stage. So I'll be honest; that's what I'm looking for on every shot. Like I'm like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get my rifle just to stop wherever it stops, and then I'm just like lasering in on the plate, and I'm just trying to see right where that bullet hits. As far as like I want to see the spot, the new spot just show up on the plate, and then if it doesn't, yep. I'm still looking for the smoke. You know, like, and then see where the center of that is, the the splash on the plate, and then and then say I don't see where it is, but I see it more. So if I see if I'm looking at the center and I see it come across the center, 
well, then I know it was upwind, you know, type stuff. I'm yeah. still looking for reaction, but man, I'm like, I'm trying to see exactly where that goes. I don't know about you, but that's, that's like, it's so nice when you see it. And I feel like you can get pretty good at, you might not see this shiny spot, but I feel like you can, you can almost see exactly where they go if you're really lasered in on it. I feel like uh, under that usually when the targets get out further than like further than 700 yards, I, I it's really hard for me to see that anymore. Yeah, I, I have to start just basing it off of where uh, how how the plate reacted. Yeah, I would say six seven to eight hundred. Yes. I feel like inside of uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like inside of 400, uh, you're lucky just to have like to be ready to see where it reacts, right? But yes. I think 400 is that line where, and I'm not saying you can't see it because I mean I definitely can see it, but you got to really pay attention and be really you know, like be quick and and stuff. But then as soon as you hit 400, be that 400 to 600 is like the the easy zone I, I shouldn't say easy but it's a little easier and then i think six to eight is still doable but it's definitely harder and then past eight it's like i wouldn't say all reaction but close right the uh the close targets the, the problem with them is they're usually so tiny so yeah, yeah you know if you're 400 yard target nowadays it's likely to be six inches or smaller and it's going to shake like crazy when you hit it and it's and and the smoke cloud, you know, no matter where you hit it, it engulfs the whole target. So, <laughs> yeah, hit it on the left edge, and it looks like it's. I mean, who knows yeah. where, you know? But those, but that's also the distance where it's easiest to see the lead spot show up on the plate. Yep, and that's where I'm trying to. I'm always trying to see that because you're right. I mean, it's definitely that is the best place. And and like, okay, take the oh, what is this? Our like third to last stage that one them away rack, right? At yep. uh, at 400, right? Yeah, we had 550, or no, 600 and 400, right? The racks. Yep. But that one was hung from chains, and it was really easy to tell where you were hitting. But I, yeah, but I was, yeah, chains on the. Was it chains on both of them, or was it chains and straps? I can't remember. It's been. It's been I don't a know week. how the far the far rack that we shot from the truck bed is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that the far one was definitely chains, right? The the close uh the close squares were chains as well. Oh really? Yeah. I can remember if it was change or strap, but I know they reacted. And my 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 one fifty sixes were uh, slapping them things up against the the thing he had on, oh, yeah. on the back so dang hard. But I could see the spot on the steel every time it would hit. That yep. was nice, you know, because that, that's the ones that like when you say that, I'm like, yeah, oh for sure, you could see that. I mean, you always see it on clean paint, but you can see that. I yeah, I like that. And then, um, now my my next question is is so, what do you do, um, when you do not see where you missed a target? So say you got a so skyline target. So the scenario is I miss the target and I don't see a thing. Pretty much. Yep. Okay, so usually I spend a few seconds. Or maybe even uh, it feels like forever, but I'll spend a second or two thinking about it. Yep. And what I'm thinking about is, uh, is there a spot next to this target? And, and I'm mostly just thinking in the the windage plane, left and right. Yep. I'm thinking, is there a spot on the left or the right 
that if the bullet went there, it would make sense that I wouldn't see it. Like, is there is there a muddy spot on the right side, or is there tall grass on the left side, and there's just bare dirt on the right side? That would probably mean I, the bullet went into the tall grass. That's a good so point. I'm just thinking about you know. So I'm not usually I'm not prepared for that to happen, so I have to think about it afterwards. But sometimes I think about it when I see other guys missing when I'm watching on glass. And, and I'll tell myself, okay, if I miss that target, don't see anything, it for sure went to the left. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you mean. I'll prepare for that too. So let's go uh, one step farther. If it's a skyline first, target. Okay. It's a skyline target. Then, um, well, it depends. So then I'm going to make a change to my wind hold. Uh, that's, that's, that's the obvious thing. Now, do I, do I aim further to the left or further to the right? So kind of depends on what my initial hold was. And so I had this happen at, uh, at K and M on one of the, the long troop line. And so my initial, my hold on the shot that I missed was two tenths and the target was four tenths wide. Mm-hmm. And we basically all day I was holding for nothing but spin drift. Yep. And so I thought I sat there and thought about it for a second. I thought, you know, the, the conditions hadn't changed at all. And I was thinking, there's no way that drifted more than four tenths and I missed off the right. So, and so, you know, two tenths put my crosshair just on the left side. And I thought, well, it must have been, you know, no drift at all somehow. And I missed off the left. So I held one tenth on my next shot and I hit it. So, you know, I, I just made a tiny correction and get, and just guessed what the information I had on which side it went off of. But if it's a skyline target and I'm holding a lot of wind and there's no real, you know, way to use that logic, then I'm just going to, I'm going to make a correction that's big. That's like as much as almost as much as the target width. Okay. All right. Yep, that's mean. Uh, Tate calls it the seventy-five percent rule. I call it the ninety percent rule. You're gonna correct. So if it's if it's five tenths wide target, you're gonna correct about four tenths. Yep. And I love the way Tate used the spray paint cap analogy because basically you just have to account for your spray paint cap, which you did when you you just talked about it as well. You put you had your reticle on the left edge, and then you're like, well, I don't think it. It obviously didn't go four tenths. I, I don't think it should have went left, but whatever. Maybe my spray paint cap was right on the edge, and one of my bullets went right off the left, and it was just where my crosshairs yeah. were. So then you just yep. move your spray paint cap inside of the edge and pull the trigger. Well, yep. uh, what what I think is, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got a half mil plate, and I'm holding, let's call it left edge again, and I'm like, and and I'm shooting in somewhere that's not K&M, so somewhere that that can be wind, right? They can be windy. Uh so and I, I'll I'll like sit there like I I did this a couple times in Raton and I'd sit there and I'd look, okay, what did I just miss? You know, like grass, I'll look at the grass and then I'll look at like mirage real fast. And I try to do this before every shot, but but this I'll really pay attention to like what did I just miss? Did it pick up? Did it did it let off whatever? And then what all the only thing I'm like, man, one thing I do know is Anything from the my crosshairs to a half mil right on my crosshair because I'm holding left edge, 
that all of that didn't work. So then I just take the whatever's on the downwind edge it, or whichever edge I feel like I missed off of. I just take that that mark and put it inside of the other edge. Yep. And so I've then, done that. I've done that a lot. That exact same thing. Yeah, because it's the fast the fastest way I've learned to do it. Instead of saying, "Oh, just add four tenths," I'm like, "Well, yeah, it, it does the exact same thing, but without having to like know the width of the target and everything. I can just do that on the fly." Um, and 99% of the time we don't miss by that much, you know? So it's just like, it, it, it'll hit somewhere in there. I read the plate and then I got the information I need. Yeah. Worst case scenario when you miss and don't see anything is when you're also really rushed for time. Oh cause then yeah. You, Cause then you can't sit there and think and, and, uh, that's, that's worst case scenario. I hate it whenever you don't have time to think about it and try to figure out what happened. That's when I just go off my immediate gut and do exactly what I just said just as fast as I can do it because that's the only thing I I mean I just I'm like well I know one thing all that didn't work so throw it out the window and go again you know yep um okay so now now when you now what do you do when you hit a target right and you don't see where you hit it so for whatever reason you don't know which side or whatever you don't see what you where you hit it what are you going to do like you see it react, but you're not really sure. Uh, hopefully that never happens, me. but it it does it does happen. So especially on T post hangers. Yeah, T post hangers, and especially when they're small targets. Yep. Um, which is the worst time for it to happen. Of course. But uh, I mean, you've got really no option but to <laughs> just fire the same shot over again. Hundred percent. I think that's your well. That's your. I think you got a ninety percent shot of or hitting it right. If you do that, yeah. like you don't know the edge all, but now, but if you move, you're d- decreasing your odds by uh, significantly because you don't know which edge. So you got a 50, 50, which edge you thought you were on. And then, and then you're going to move. It's like the only thing you do know is whatever you had on the plate worked. So you better shoot that again. That's what I think. Yep. Yep. The, the only thing that like use that, Use that scenario as a reminder to watch closer on the second shot. Oh, thousand percent. That's what that's what it tells me is that, man, I got lazy. I wasn't watching close enough. I don't know where that hit. And so I'll focus twice as hard the second shot to see where it hits. This is but this is a real deal. Like I'm not because because I mean, you're one of the best shooters in the world. There's no doubt about it. So. But do you see every round that goes out of your barrel? No. Like, I and especially like you said, T post hangers, small targets. It's just you're just not going to see them all. No, but you see a vast majority of them. Like vast I do, yeah, majority. I, I see a lot of them. Hopefully, you want to see them all. But yeah, uh, that's whenever I get to the end of a day of shooting, that's kind of what defines how good the day was. Yeah. Um, if I if I really felt like I saw the bullets really well all day, then I then I probably shot really well that day as well. Oh, hundred, yeah, yeah, for sure. Which, let's let's be real. Uh, between the two of us, we haven't had a lot of bad days. Like, no, like no, not ex- bad days for us, but not like extremely bad days. No, not in the last year. It's been good. I had a uh, oh. I, the Punisher, 
this year, which you weren't. That's one of the matches you weren't there. No, but I would say that was like the only uh, match where I had a bad day. But what happened was I was pretty far in the lead after day one, and we shot thirteen stages on day one. And so it didn't there matter. wasn't there wasn't enough of a bad day left. I was having a really bad day. Well, hold on a minute uh, here. I that whew, I only shot the that match one time, and I had a yeah. ginormous lead after day one. We shot fourteen stages, and I did have that bad of a day. I had Clay told me he says I looked at the scores after day one. He says and I didn't even know who the heck you were. He's like and he was like and Watts ended up winning it, but and me and Clay tied for second by one point. But he's like, I looked at the lead and said, we should all, should we just pack up and go home? Cause none of us are getting any points. That's what he said. <laughs> Cause I had like, it looked like I only had like a one or two point lead, but I had shot like eight rounds less than everybody else. And yeah. so it was, it was more like I had a 10 point lead and it, which is, yeah, he, he's just joking. Obviously they'd get points, but, uh, you know, he, he just like, yeah, it's, it was crazy, but then I came in and dude, I just like, I don't know. I've never had, I haven't. So that was, that's that, that, but I learned more from that day. I mean, that's been three years ago now. And I learned more from that day, that bad day than um, a lot of my good, most of my good days ever. Yeah. I've never that's yep, you just, taught me the most. You got to fight through it. You got to figure out, you know, in the moment it sucks, but you got to do everything you can to figure out what's going wrong and stop it. And, and then you've got to, you know, when the match is over, you got to, you got to really try and learn from it. I read like three mental books after that. <laughs> it was crazy because I mean that's all it was. It was all mental. It was so bad. It was a train uh, that, wreck. That match this year was supposed to be my three hundred. I was I was super confident going into the match. After day one, I was way ahead, and I and I was already telling myself like this is that was that would have been my you know three hundred for the year. That was early in the year. And I was telling myself, this is it. I'm going to have 300 points after tomorrow. And it's, man, it was brutal to, to lose that the way I did. And then uh, I, it took me till that basically till the end of the season to get to 300 after that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but to be fair, I mean... Uh, you were you you were on fire this year. I mean, you shot good. I feel like I remember I remember that match, and I'm pretty sure I thought you were going to be the same because I had just gotten 300 or something. But I I mean, and I figured you were you were uh, going to be close because everybody was talking about old uh, Bushman that was just lighting it up out there. And dude, it was yeah, you were doing some shooting. I mean, you still have been obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how how much can change overnight. Oh, yep, yeah. Well, I mean, but I not that much changed. I mean, you went in sitting tied for first and came out first, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's true. So, um, just is what it is. Is what it is. I gotta. I'm gonna just. I don't know. I'm not. I'm probably not gonna practice much for the AG Cup. Oh, here's an interesting question. The uh, I was just loading up the last of my ammo for the AG Cup. I'm not done yet with my ammo, but I'm close. And I ran out of all of the one lot of bullets that I was using all year long. And so now I've opened up another lot of bullets 
Will, will that make a difference? No. What number is it? I don't, I don't know. If you knew, I, I'd, I would I would just check mine and be like, I'll tell you if they're any good. <laughs> I'm kind of just kidding. I'll actually go out and shoot some from both lots just to make sure. But I but, I've never seen. It generally doesn't see see much of a difference. Like I've shot, I don't know, I think five or six different lots of 109s now, and or maybe more, uh, and uh, all of them are like a 300 or a 302 BC, and they shoot great. So I really uh, don't believe that there'll be a difference, but it's one of those things that just like is in my head until I check on it. Oh, I do the same thing. Other well, other than this last weekend, I didn't have time to check, but I did shoot a different lot of bullets. But I mean, I knew they were good. They were they were. I, well, sorry, I did check. I did I did check. I forgot that I did check like two days before we left. I hurry and I was like, man, I better check this, and I did. So, but it was the exact same. So, just yep. what I thought from Burger Bullets. Um, which you know. When I saw your post the other day, you posted about uh, this reloading setup, and I thought, man, dude, this is a kindred spirit. Like, this is my guy right here because I feel like uh, that's the type of crap I do. Well, so I do have some really nice reloading stuff, but my press in general, I guess, is what my post was about, my Lee my Lee turret press. And, and uh, everybody's like, oh, you're going to get a new one now and stuff like that. I'm like – I love that press. I don't, something Dude. about it being uh, like sequential operation. I can't miss a step. It's just. Dude, I, I, I really, yeah, because it, it rotates the head every time you move the, yes. the press up and down, which I, so I've been going to meaning to buy one of those, but, you know, like, like, because I can't stand uh, the thought of spending $800 on a single stage press or whatever. I don't know how much they are, but they're a lot. I just can't do it. I reload off a Hornady Progressive Press. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I almost, I almost uh, was. Uh, I'm gonna do a Lee in the beginning, and then I was like, I. But then I couldn't. Uh, the when how they they prime them is on the downstroke, and I was like, oh, I can't do that. So, hmm. yeah, I do, I just do it all on that because it's. It's fa- I have to be faster. We shoot. We shoot so many rounds. It's crazy. Yeah, I. That's true. I, it's got. It's somewhat about time. It, it's fairly fast. I just once you get to know something and it's working for you, it's just why change. Yeah, I love how that thing rotates. So you just, I mean, one round. Yeah, you build up. You build muscle memory on it, and if you ever were to miss a step or something changes, in you know, with one one round getting loaded you notice it immediately because something feels different. Yeah. Cause what's your process on that? Uh, so I start out with just ready to go brass, I guess. I'll, it's I'll separate primed, my brass. Right? Yeah. Uh, un, not primed brass. I'll have clean resized okay. brass. It's resized. Okay. Yes. Re- resized and cleaned brass. And I'll just have a big pile of it. And Do you then, resize uh, on that too? Just sorry to interrupt yes, you. Yes, yep. Okay. Yep. It's the only press I've got. So I resize on it in a separate step. Then I'll, you know, have a big pile of brass there. I'll prime it. Do you have another turret for the sizing? Sorry, I keep cutting you off, but I'm just curious. No, no. The sizing die is, uh, there's four spots on the turret. One of them's a sizing die, one's a seating die, and one's a powder die. 
Okay. And the other spot's empty. So uh, once I've got all the brass resized and cleaned, I just, I basically, I put it on the press, put a primer on it. I seed it, and then it goes straight from seeding a primer up into the powder die. I dump powder into the funnel on top. I go down, put a bullet on it, go back up and seed it, and start all over. So we do the same thing, except for I just don't have to uh, change the thing out because that's essentially all I do on my press is because I prime it on I prime it on there, but I've got the cases. I've, it's always being constantly fed with another case, and one's being kicked out. I just yes. every time yep. on the on the way down, I I push the primer the the handle forward. It primes the case. I push it down, and 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 one case is going into my funnel die, and the other one's going into the seating die, and then I just take a um, powder off one of my A and Ds and throw it in the thing. And on the way down, I stick a bullet on top of it and then prime another case and do it again, you know? Yep. Yeah, it's like exactly the same thing as a progressive. It's just uh, it's the other end of the tur- of the press is rotating. Yeah, which is it, that that thing is it's really slick that little deal. So what do you do? Just curious. Uh, how do you uh, get? Do you have to like run it f- two more times to get it back to the right station, or what do you do? There? Yeah. So when you get down to the bottom, you just barely move the handle, and it'll rotate past. You you move the handle like a a fifth of a stroke up, and then back down, and it will skip my resizing die. Okay, and then you just and then you're back to back in business, huh? Yep. And that and that's part of the muscle memory. Like while I'm reaching for a new shell, I've already skipped past the, the sizing die. Do that. That is uh, uh, that to me is just awesome. It just shows you shows you if you're listening, like you don't you don't need to go out and buy all of the latest and greatest the four nineteen I'm not saying the four nineteen press isn't awesome. I'm just saying you don't have to have that to load good ammo. You can load good ammo ammo that will win a world championship and a national championship off of a hundred dollar press no problem i mean and actually all, all my ammo even including the world championship uh was loaded with an art an old school rcbs charge master you don't you do have to upgrade that though guys i did i did <laughs> so i upgraded that after the world championship i got a uh whatever auto trickler version four but but yeah for years that's all i used and boy the ammo sure shot good yeah no i think i think there's no no reason it shouldn't shoot good uh yeah i yeah you don't have to i just i just kidding um (laughs) (laughs) i that was one of the things i i had an issue with with uh i had old lyman gen sixes and they worked great until they didn't and then and then it scared me and i just bought an a and d and it's been like five years ago that I bought the A&D and that one's still going on strong. And then I bought a second one about three years ago. Cause I just, I got, I got tired of waiting on it when I got a progressive press, but I, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to, you don't, your powder charges don't have to be perfect. I mean, they have to be good, but they don't have to be like, you don't have to have a Prometheus if the other Austin is listening. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. There's so much. Honestly, money. I shot a lot of groups at a thousand yards that were somewhere around, you know, let's say five or six inch groups at a thousand yards. Uh, with, you know, that was kind of the typical group, and there's just no targets we shoot at that are that that's not going to work on. 
No, I and I think there's a lot more that goes into it. I've been recently because I d- I do reload still. It's not like I don't reload, but I I've transitioned to all factory ammo. I mean, it's factory ammo, but it's it's more closer to factory. It's like it's pretty much custom loaded ammo, except for on a uh, mass scale. But yeah, yeah, I think there's other things that go into the power charge. Even though like this guy. Um, he loads to the kernel, you know, but he's in even him. He's like, it's probably not necessary to do that, but I have it set up to do it. So I'm going to do it. And so that's one thing we can, and I've pulled, pulled them apart. And yeah, I mean, it is, it is dead nuts just about exactly how I would load it. But there's other things that make a bigger difference. And like the press you use and all that stuff, everything, if it's um like, Lee, all of those guys, they're going to make a press that's plenty good to do what we do. You don't have to break yep. the bank. So, yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate you um, sharing your your knowledge. And and uh, and I I just like I it, it fascinates me the differences and the similarities and the how how we do things. Um, and I think it's interesting for everybody else and. Hopefully, because I, I, man, I love to talk about troop lines, and so hopefully every, <laughs> everybody uh, else gets the same amount of uh, enthusi- or uh, entertainment as I do from it, because to me, that's just, like, it's the ultimate, it's the pinnacle of skill in this game. Like, if you, it, essentially, the, mo- the most skill or the the highest level of skill I think you could do in this game is a positional troop line, right? That's that would be it. Because yeah. that incorporates it all. With with tiny targets too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It sounds fun. Yeah, that, I think which, you know, th- thinking of that and that might be why I like uh um Seth Garner or sorry, not Seth Garner. Seth Howard and uh and uh Brian Neese put on a match. Um, it's called the Gem State match, and that match usually is that because it's it's all for rocks, and it and they have no stages that have like less than. I think they'll have like one stage with two targets is all they had. The rest of them were like three to five, six targets a stage. So it was like one one had seven or eight targets on it. Um, and it's just all a bunch of troop lines out of, like, if there's four targets, it'll be shoot four targets from three different rocks. It's just all lava rock. Yeah. It's pretty legit. So that match, it, it kind of tests it all, and I I enjoy that. But anyways, that's, yeah, for me, yeah, I, they're super enjoyable. They're really fun. I, uh, I just, I agree on the troop lines. I was just going to say, it, we've gotten to the point with our equipment and our heavy rifles and tiny calibers anybody can throw a bag down or a rifle down on a bag on a, on a solid prop and hold the same wind hold every time. And to me, that's what makes the, the mental part of troop lines and thinking about it is what makes them so fun. Yeah. It gets the mind going. Cause that's what Tate talked about. He says that like the, the stairs and the tank trap stage or the, or the culvert stage, he says those stages, uh, five years ago when he's there, or or even six seven years ago when he's there, 
that he's like those stages would not be there. I mean, he, he says, well, they would be, but it would be one target, and you shoot them, and that just is. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. He's, it, it would it wouldn't be the way it was this time where you got three different targets in a big span. It's it's it would be maybe maximum two targets. You know. It just that's just not how it was. It, if it was a troop line stage, it was a troop line stage. If it was a positional stage, it was a positional stage. They didn't do no mixing. So the game has progressed. I think it's cool. Yep. But anyways, well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing what you what you know, and I I really appreciate it. And I I I'm uh, highly jealous of you. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm impressed with the the way you shoot and the way you handle yourself at matches, and it's it has been uh, fun to watch, but hard at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But, but it is, but it is, it's it's cool to see a good guy um, win. So, congratulations and uh, thanks for coming on here and talking. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll do it again next year. <laughs> Hopefully, in different order. <laughs> Uh, no good job and uh um thanks for uh listening we'll talk at you guys later